Welcome to the Grace Point Assembly of God podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit gphixon.com. Now let's get into a powerful message for your life from God's Word. ...ground and, and how I came to be here this morning. And then we'll get to Scripture and, and see what God's going to do this morning. Because He's going to do something, right? I hope you guys are expecting that he would have an encounter with you. You know, every time we come to the house of the Lord, we have an opportunity to be one-on-one with him. And to be one-on-one with him means that there's something in us that's about to change. And that's a good thing for us, right? Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, 2007, God, we were, uh, Sheila and I were attending church and we were, we were just kind of rocking along. Everything was good, and God spoke that it was time to plant a church, and that was quite an adventure for us. From 2007 until three weeks ago, we served at Crossroads Church as a pastor and pastor's wife, and had a wonderful time. Um, took a group of 30, and and we kind of uh, just kind of grew from there, and ended up building a, a facility right right there in Antioch, uh, Bell Road and I-24, and we just had a good time. Had, you know, serving the Lord and doing what He said always brings joy to you. It, it brings joy in the tough times. doesn't mean that all 10 years and 10 months were all bliss. They weren't all lined with people just handing checks to the church and throwing roses out everywhere you walk. That wasn't what was happening. But... When, when you encounter those tough times, God's, God's call and what God said last will take you to wherever you need to go. And it'll sustain you through those hard times. Well, back at the beginning of this year, Sheila and I were in Branson, Missouri with the Assemblies of God, and we were at a leadership conference there. And during the leadership conference on Tuesday night, during worship, God spoke to me and he said something that I, I never expected because I thought that I would be at my church for another 15 or 20 years and that I would uh, retire from pastoral ministry there. But he said, I'm about to take you out of your church. And that was shocking to me. In fact, it was so shocking that I didn't even tell Sheila when it happened because I wanted that to marinate a little bit. I wanted, listen, I know the voice of God and I, I know the, the other voice, the one that tries to confuse me and keep me messed up. And knowing the voice of God when he spoke, I knew it was him, but I just needed to let that set for a minute. So we got in the car on the way back uh, from there, and it was the first time we'd really had good alone time where we could talk for a few minutes because the days are long and you just come in and go to bed. And I wasn't saying anything. And she looked at me and she said, did God speak to you while we were there? (laughs) And I said, yeah, but I don't want to talk about it yet. And she said, well, he talked to me too. And I said, what did he say? And he said, we're leaving the church. And I said, yeah. And so we cried together and we talked about what that would look like. And this is what I know about God. Um, He made me Jack Harper. He didn't make me Abraham. And there's only one instance in the whole Bible where he took somebody and said, I'm going to take you away to a land that I'll show you. That's the only mystery about it. He just didn't tell him which land. The rest of the time, since I've been here, we have been in the dispensation of grace, which means that, that Holy Spirit leads and Holy Spirit guides, and he's going to talk to me and tell me where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. So without knowing 
what I was going to do and where we were going to go, we didn't talk about it with anybody. We just started simply fasting and praying and fasting and praying. We did it in February. We did it in March, April, May. And in June, we still hadn't heard where he was taking us to. He had told us where he was taking us from, but not what we were going to. So we were still quiet. The only place that we had talked about this was with each other. No, no other outside source. So I was getting ready to go to Haiti, and a friend of mine who's been a, an investor and very much a help in Haiti with us, we were having breakfast, and I was kind of going over the things that we were going to be doing there, and, and he was talking about what he could do to help. And he looked at me, and he said, Is God about to take you out of your church? Because he just told me you were. And I said, Wow. And I started crying again. I'm a big crybaby, I'll just tell you. And uh, I, I said, Jeff, we're not talking about this right now. Like, I, we're, uh, we've heard, but we don't know what we're going to, so we're not talking about it. He said, It's all right. He said, I'll be praying. So two weeks later, Sheila's having coffee with a pastor's wife there in, in Hendersonville where we live, and she looked at Sheila and she said, do you see yourself at your church much longer because God's telling me he's moving you? And we're like, wow. So now this is going beyond what we have allowed to come out of our house. So God is speaking, and what he's doing is he's confirming those words to us. So... So as we, as we went forward from that point, God started very clearly speaking that I was to, as I left the church, that I was to join Sheila at her ministry, which is Save One, and I'll tell you a little more about that in a minute. It was Save One, and I was to help her the way Dave Meyer helps Joyce. For those of you who know Joyce Meyer's ministry, Dave has been very, very, uh, very influential in that ministry by helping and just making things happen for her. And not that we think that we're on Joyce Meyer's level, um, but that's what God had spoken. So as we had this, as we had this picture of where we're going, this, this, this word of what God was calling us to, I'm, uh, I'm very cautious, I'm very conservative when it comes to moving and doing things, and you would think that that would have been enough, but I called back the guy that I was talking to at breakfast that morning. I said, listen, man, God's spoken very clearly what we're to do, and what I want you to do is I want you to talk to God and I want you to come back to me and tell me what he is telling you that we're supposed to do. I said, I need a confirming word that is from the throne room. And he said, I can do that. So he, he started praying and he called me back and he said, Jack, this is what the Lord has said. He said, you're supposed to go and work at Save One the same way that Dave and Joyce Meyer work together. And I said, well, I think I've got a confirming word now. I'm, I can go. So that week we talked to our church I uh, talked to the district office for the assemblies, talked to our sectional presbyter, and we started a six-week process of leaving our church. I, I cried every day for six weeks. I told you I was a crybaby. Uh, every time we got into worship, I didn't think I was going to be able to preach because I still had six weeks of sermons to preach, and I would, I would just cry because I love that church. I wasn't trying to leave. There isn't a scandal that's there. There isn't anything that's wrong there. I love those people, and I have a little bit of equity in that church from the work that we've done over 10 years, 10 months. But that's what God had said. It's time to go. So three weeks ago was our last service. Uh, for the next two weeks, we were in Europe. Save One has a Save One Europe, um, which is a huge movement over there that's helping men and women. And what Save One does is help men and women after an abortion 
understand that God still loves them, that there's still hope, there's still healing, and there's still restoration through God's Word. And so Save One is Bible study that we lead people through to help them get back to where they were before the abortion. Now listen to me. A lot of people say, well, some people have, ab have abortions and they don't have any trouble. Anytime you go and violate God's Word, you have trouble. And when you violate God's Word as it, as it pertains to life, then what's happening is there is a decision being made that is only God's decision, and that's to take a life. And when you make a decision like that, there are consequences. But it's not just consequences, it's God-sized consequences that you're dealing with because that's a God-only decision. And so that's why we do what we're doing. Sheila's own experience in 85 almost drove her to death. In fact, she was about a half a second from committing suicide, the finish of committing suicide, and God supernaturally intervened and stopped that. And she finally found healing and hope and restoration, and it is her life's goal to find and help other men and women and to see abortion end in our country and around the world. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that. So just for the magnitude of what it is that we face, and we, we face it, um, it, we face it knowing that our God is bigger than any circumstance, that our God is bigger than any, any entity that, that we face. But right now in America, there is about 320 million people. There have been 60 million recorded, which means there's a lot that weren't recorded, 60 million abortions since Roe versus Wade. Since Roe versus Wade. There's, that means 60 million women have lost the motherhood that they were supposed to be able to have. And 60 million men lost the fatherhood that they were supposed to have. So if you take out people that are not of childbearing age, then you can just see that it's easily one in every three persons that you ever encounter has been affected by the abortion process. And it doesn't just mean the person too, because that's, that's the third, but then when you start taking that, there are people that lost brothers and sisters and grandchildren and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews. The ripple effect of abortion is overwhelming. It is an epidemic in our nation that has to stop, and Sheila and I are going to do everything we can to possible to make it stop. And so that's our awareness of what, we, what it is that we're doing. And so I, I, uh, when I left and we were in the process of trying to figure out what it was that we were going to do, one of the first people, people that I got in touch with was Pastor Terry here because I know that he has a heart for missions, and this is really a missions project. And so I asked him, I said, could we come and present at your church? And he said, absolutely. So that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're doing. That's what we're, that's what we're in the process of doing. But God gave me a word this morning that goes along with that, but, it, but it's also a word for the church, and I want to talk to you guys about that. If you guys could put up John 16 up there. And um, John 16, verses 7... 7 through 11, and here's, here's the deal. This is, I'm going to give you a little setup. Jesus is talking to his crew, okay? And he's got his crew with him, and he's talking to them, and he's trying to encourage them, and he's trying to give them some understanding about what's about to happen. Because even, even when it came to the crucifixion and the moments after, 
those guys still didn't totally get it. They were still reeling a little bit. It was just hard to process and understand what was going on. But Jesus is trying to encourage them a little bit, and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus is truth. He's the whole truth. He's nothing but the truth. He, so help him him, right? So you don't have to worry about whether or not what he said was true. But if Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth, then you might want to just kind of stop and say, all right, this is important right here. Because truth is telling you the truth. There's something going on. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And we all know that the helper there is Holy Spirit. We need Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus was one person on purpose because he was one sacrifice for all time, for all sin. He came and fulfilled what he was going to do. But he said, Holy Spirit is coming, the Helper is coming, and the Helper is going to live with us. He's going to be in us. He's going to be with us all the time. So it's better that Jesus said that I go away because it's better for you because you've got Holy Spirit with you all the time. And then he said, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. Keep going, guys. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin... Because they do not believe in me. They do not believe in me. Keep going. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and I see you no more. And then of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What an incredible thought. That we need Holy Spirit to come and judge us of our sin. Can I just tell you there's some things that you know that you're doing that's wrong. Sometimes you get... You, you know, some, there, I'll just tell you on the front end, there's some people in this room that have the best testimony. And it's not the testimony where you were saved out of sin. It is the testimony where, where you were, grew up in church, that you've never gotten entangled in the world, and that you live pursuing God always. That's the best testimony. You know why that's the best testimony? Because we can tell that to our children. We can tell it to our middle schoolers. We can tell it to our high schoolers. We can tell it to our college graduates, our young adults, and it is an encouragement that people can get through life without getting messed up. That's the best testimony. It's, that's the one that, that, that we all wish we had, but not all of us have that testimony. I certainly don't. Because when I was young, I made a decision, a very intentional decision, that, that cost me for 23 years. I didn't know it had a... I didn't know it had a uh, price tag on it when I started. At 12 or 13 years old, I started drinking. I didn't realize that at 12 or 13, what that could grow into. Just like when you open the door of death in the abortion issue, the sin that you open up doesn't stop until it consumes everything. Death is a consumer. Once you open the door of death with the abortion issue, all it wants to do is consume and consume until it has consumed you and spit you out. And the same thing with sin, with alcohol, with me, it's progressive, okay? I'm one of those guys that I, probably as much as alcohol was a problem, it is excess. So, like, if I'm, if I'm working out... Would y'all look at me right now and judge me and that'd be your problem, don't? If I'm working out, then anybody that's not working out is just lazy. I don't know what's wrong with them. 
And if I'm not working out and I'm eating, I don't know why people would work out. Why don't we just enjoy life and enjoy food? I'm excessive in about everything that I do. And alcohol happened to be one of the things that I was excessive in and progressive in. So you start out drinking beer and, you know, some of those guys will hold their nose and drink their first beer. I didn't do that. In fact, all the guys that didn't like their beer, I drank their beer that first night. And I, I just continued on on this process. The longer that I was in it, the more I wanted to consume. And it got to a point, and I'm, I don't compare sins with people because there's always somebody out there that was much worse situation than you. But here's the problem, we do compare. We compare and we look around and we say, well, I'm not that bad. But my, my, my life had become, I was a functioning alcoholic. I, what I did is I worked very hard. I worked all day from, from 6 o'clock in the morning. I would be at the office or out traveling and, and working and up until the time that I quit. At the time that I quit, it would just turn on. I would just start drinking. I would drink until I went to sleep, and then the next day would be the same day again. So you know there's some issues but you don't know what to do with the issues other than to look at other people and say, well, I'm not like that. Because I was a functioning alcoholic. I, I was working very hard. I was doing the things that I was supposed to. I could always look at the guy that didn't have shoelaces that walks around peeing on himself, and I go, I'm not that guy. I don't, I'm not that problem. So I'm okay. Churches do that too, you know. Churches, you know, you look and you say, well, we don't have a lot of people here this morning. Well, but think about those guys up in Bakewell, man. They, they don't have a lot of people up there, so we're better than them. But then, see, if you, if you compare yourself that way, you don't need to drive by Abba's house this morning. I'm from Chattanooga, so I know these things. But I did the same thing, you know, with my church. You know, I would hear about people, and there would be people in church, and they would go, oh, we did this, and, and we only had like 20 people or a, I hear a pastor say, I had 12 people in church this morning. It's so frustrating. And I, would, and I would think, at least I'm not there. But then I could drive by Cornerstone up in Nashville, and they got the whole interstate block trying to let people out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, ugh. Don't get in that comparison game. Because there's really only one comparison. The comparison is what is it that God is calling you to do, and are you doing it in, in stewardship? Are you taking care of what God has asked you to do? And so my comparison always kept me satisfied that I was okay. This word says that he will convict us of our sins. I was convicted some. But here's the problem. I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of guys that I ran around with, and those guys would convict me. Now, if you go back in the King James Version, the original translation from Greek into the English language, that word is reproved. And then, then the, the later, the more modern translations, they use convict, but convict means convince, it means to expose, it means to bring to light, it means to call out. And so it's good that our sin is exposed, brought to light, called out, because that it gives us an opportunity to change. But when you're in sin, and you enjoy the sin and you're having fun in the sin, and you got other people that like being around you in that sin, then they do the same thing. They convince you that you're good at what you're doing. They call out that, hey, Jack, next time you go to Talladega, man, that's the greatest trip to Talladega we've ever had. we got to go again, man. we got to do that. Or, Jack, let's go to Knoxville. 
Even when you get beat 58-21, it's still fun up there with you, right? Or do I have UT fans in here? <laughs> or are you still hurting? That's okay, I am. But they would convince me that I was good at what I was doing, so I, that just made me want to continue to do what I was doing, which is a horrible thing for a person that cannot take care of himself, that cannot stop what he's doing. And so I was convicted in, in my sin, but I was convicted the wrong way. And I knew the difference in right or wrong. God has said eternity in all of our hearts. We know that. And I, I would have those moments when I, I thought, man, this is too much. I'm, I'm doing this wrong. I, I need to slow down. But then I would never slow down because I wasn't controlling channels anymore. So I had a wife, still have the same wife. She would not quit. She would not let up. Every Sunday morning, Jack, let's go to church. I don't want to go to church. Come on, let's go to church. We lived in Nashville. I would say, now the Braves are playing in Atlanta. Let's go to the Braves game. I spent thousands of dollars every year going to ball games and things away so I didn't have to go to church. Ridiculous. But September 6, 1998... I was sitting the third row back, aisle seat, left-hand side of the building. As you face the stage, this is a place of victory. It's an altar of victory for me. Every church, I go find it, and I look at it, and I just think, God, use that place for me. And I'm sitting there, and God said, Jack, if you don't give me everything, I'm going to take everything from you. So I read the Old Testament. I knew his power. I knew what he could do. And I all of a sudden had this moment where the conviction of my sin for the first time, I was called out. I was exposed. It was brought to light. I knew all that, but what happened this time is he laid out his holiness and righteousness, and I had never seen my sin compared to holiness and righteousness. And I said, Lord, I want to do this. I just don't know how. And he said, I'll take you by the hand, and I'll lead you home which meant he's going to take me into his eternity with him. And I said, Lord, thank you. An alcoholic who had drank for 23 years has never had a drink since. That's deliverance through his word. Amen. That's deliverance through Holy Spirit. Conviction has to happen in order for us to repent. And repentance has to happen for, in order for salvation to happen in our lives. So... We had this I had this incredible moment. And from that day forward, we have been absolutely about being in church. Absolutely, we're going to be there on Sunday morning. When they had Sunday night, we were there on Sunday night. We were there on Wednesdays. Why? Because I didn't want to teach my children rebellion. Because if there's church and a pastor said there's a church service, then why would we teach them that you don't have to listen? Bring them. Bring them to church. Do what we're supposed to do. Now, I'm going to tell you that that's powerful because that's what God does, but that's not why I'm here this morning. That's not what I came to tell you about. Can I just ask you guys to close your eyes and just lift your hands all over this room and just say, Lord, we need to hear this. Go back to verse 8. There it is. And when, we have, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness. And I think this is one of the problems with the church is that we don't ever, we don't near enough allow God to convict us of our righteousness. Because when's the last time you allowed God, 
or ask Him, God, convict me of my righteousness. Because we get uncomfortable with that. It's uncomfortable to think that we are righteous before Him, but there's Scripture after Scripture that says that we have righteousness. So this is the freedom that I want to tell you guys about this morning, is that in your righteousness, He's wanting to call that out. He's wanting to expose it. He's wanting to bring your righteousness to light. He's wanting to convince you of it. And this is what we do because we've been taught properly, properly, that we're not to take credit for what God should get credit for. Amen? We all know that, right? We don't take glory for what, God's ta- what God should get glory for. But this is what happens. And I, 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 I was, I've had to repent. I've had to change the way I do things after reading this scripture. People would come up to me and they would say, Pastor Jack, that was an incredible word. Thank you so much. That really meant a lot to me. And this is what I would do. Well, I had nine points. I didn't talk about two of them. And I didn't feel like it flowed very well. What I'm doing is warring. I'm going to war and battling against what Holy Spirit is trying to do, which is convict me of righteousness. He, he, you know, he's all right. He, if he wanted me to have those other two points, he would have brought them out to me before I closed. But what he's trying to do is like, Jack, that, I, I appreciate you working and doing the things that I've called you to do, and I'm trying to have people call out your righteousness to you, and what you're doing is you're shoving it back at me. You're pushing back on it. The Proverbs 18.21 says the power of death and life are in the tongue. It, the words that we speak have great power. Now, if you want to be very conservative with that verse, the power of death and life are in the tongue. Way over here on the conservative side, the way you translate that is, the power of death and life are in the tongue. If you want to be really liberal about it, you want to take something and just have some liberties with it, it means the power of death and life are in the tongue. That's what God means. He said it. He's saying that when you speak and you speak against things, you speak death to them, then death is going to happen to them. And so what I have constantly done before encountering this scripture is I, I have been warring with the Holy Spirit trying to call out righteousness in me, trying to call out holiness in me, and saying, no, no. When I should be accepting with a thank you and then deferring the praise to the one who deserves it. Not me, but defer it. But instead, we start warring against it. You know, today is beautiful out there. One of these days, in the next couple of weeks, because pastors hate it, it's going to rain. That's why it's going to rain, because pastors hate it. I don't know if y'all knew that. But when it rains, you guys are going to have some umbrellas out there. And you're going to go out and you're going to walk people in from the parking lot. And, and you're going to keep them dry, and you're going to get a little bit wet. Sometimes the whole backside of you is wet. I've, I've done umbrella brigade before. And, and when they get inside, they're going to look at you, and they're going to go, thank you. And what we've done for years is we've gone, that's nothing. And then you walk off. And they think, well, maybe it's nothing. It shouldn't be nothing. It should be something. How about we just say, thank you, God's really working on me in my helps ministry, or God's really working on me in serving the church. Because it's good to hear from somebody else that God's working on them, right? 
Instead of warring and just saying, it's nothing. It's nothing. The power of death is in the words we speak. If the power of death is in the words we speak, then what happens when somebody starts to talk about your righteousness or the righteousness that God has put in you, then this is what happens. You are warring against the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You're in a spiritual battle with Him. No, that can't happen. And what happens is the more we speak, Psalm 45 says that our tongue is a ready writer. It writes on our heart that our heart begins to believe that we don't deserve anything. When in truth, we should be walking in prosperity. We should be, when I'm not talking about cash, I'm talking about prosperity. I'm talking about shalom. I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about health in our lives. But what we keep doing is pushing it back, pushing it back. What we're doing when we speak death into those things or we war against the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're releasing, every time we say something, we're releasing it to the demons for them to work with. We're releasing it to the enemy for him to work against us. Have you guys ever said something in front of somebody and then that person uses that against you every time you get, they get a chance? I, one time, one time I, was, I, was, I was losing weight and there was a group of people around and I, and I said, yeah, man, I, I lost like eight pounds. And I said, that's kind of with a left foot lean, you know. You know, you know how you can manip- anybody manipulate the scales to get your extra pounds when you weigh on the left foot? Y'all aren't like that. That's good. It's just me. It's fine. Every time I was around them, if I was, if somebody said, "Hey, Jack, you look good, man. You're losing weight," they would say, "Yeah, he's got that left foot lean," you know. And I'm like, "Oh," but that's what Satan does. That's what his minion do. Every time they're around you, they use the words that you've released into the, to the, to the spiritual realm and they use it against you. They keep bringing it back to you. You're not worthy. When in truth, we should be releasing words of life. We should be releasing words that give the angels something to work with because the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits to us. They're ministering to us. Why not give them something to work with? Give the Holy Spirit something to work with in your life and stop warring against Him. Because this is, this is, you know, they can't read your mind. The enemy can't. He can't. But He'll use those things that you've spoken and He'll use your actions against you. And He'll use those things that are so dear to you to try to rip you apart. And we've got to stop allowing that to happen. And we've got to start releasing words that, that make the difference in our lives, that, that, that angels and Holy Spirit can work with. And when somebody wants to tell you and wants to uncover and bring to light and expose, then we've got to be able to receive it and transfer the praise to, some, to, to the one who deserves all praise. This guy right here, He makes me cry. He is a servant of servants. His heart for God, it it has no ends. It's infinity. And I love him. And I I think it would be really cool over this next week if you guys would just tell him how much you appreciate him. Right? 
And then when Pastor Terry gets back the next week and his wife, tell them, tell them. You guys might not know it, but being a pastor is a really tough job. I enjoyed every second of it and was surprised that I wasn't doing it, but I can tell you there are just times when you just need an encouraging word. And if you guys could speak life into them, if you guys could speak life into Terry and Jens, man, it makes such a difference. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes and let me just ask you a couple of questions because I think these questions are important this morning. Here's the, here's the first question. Have you had this morning the thought that maybe some of the things that I'm entangled with or some of the things that I've been doing I really shouldn't be messing with and when I think about them in relationship to the holiness and righteousness of God that I need to fix that. Is there anybody in here with that? I'm not asking people to stand up or anything. I just want to know if God's speaking on that level. Will you just raise your hand and put it back down if, if you found some entanglements that you need to get rid of? Anybody here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Is there anybody here this morning that hasn't ever has never made that moment of conviction move to repentance and repentance move to salvation? Is there anybody here that doesn't have a relationship with God or maybe it's messed up so much that you, you know you need to get back? Is there anybody here that needs to get their relationship with God right? Would you slip your hand up and put it back down? Anybody? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Because, see, it's not the words that I say. It's just the, the precepts of what God has spoken to us there in John. What Jesus said, he released into eternity. It wasn't just for his crew. It was for everybody. And then I'm going to ask an, a, a private question. And I really want this room sealed. And I want this room locked down. Is there anybody here that's been affected by the abortion issue? Whether it's your, your child, thank you. Whether it's a grandchild or an aunt or an uncle. or Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It, it, it's, it's all over, guys. And the reason it's all over is because Satan has had his run. And I can tell you that there are, there are many, many ministries out there, including ours, that we're going to run back at him. We're tired of standing still. We're tired of backing up. We're going to stop this. For those of you that raised your hand for salvation, well, let me back up. For those of you that raised your hand and you, and you know that you, you got some entanglements and that, that, you, that you need to quit, but it hasn't affected your relationship with God, I want to pray with you. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll tune in next week for another great sermon from Grace Point Assembly of God.